So we've read Isaiah 61, which contains the lines, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Ashes, mourning, despair. Now the news this week has been full of images of ashes, mourning, and despair. Whether you are a Palestinian seeking to get out of Gaza because your house has been destroyed and you fear that worse is to come, whether you are an Israeli mourning the loss of a son or a daughter, a parent, a grandparent, someone who was killed by Hamas at a music festival last weekend, or whether you are a terrified victim of kidnapping hidden away somewhere in Gaza, you would probably use the language of hell on earth to describe the events of this last week. The language of ashes, mourning, and despair. And as Sharon has alluded to in our prayer time, the nature of our media is such that one story simply pushes out other stories. And some of those stories we have heard about, some of them we've already prayed about today, Ukraine, small boats, racism. But they've not made the headlines this week, and so it can be very easy to start to forget about them. And there are many stories, as Sharon said, that we never, ever hear about. All over our world, there are stories of ashes, mourning, and despair. Uh, Today, we are continuing our series uh, from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and we've just read a little bit earlier from Isaiah 61. And you'll remember from previous series and earlier on in this series uh, that the prophets, they were individuals who were sent by God at various points throughout Israel's history to warn uh, God's people of what would happen if they kept on living in rebellion to God. And so each prophet has their own points in that specific history. And this is Isaiah's point in that history. A prophet to Judah in the south at the same time that Israel in the north was taken into exile by the Assyrians. And about a hundred years before, Judah was exiled by the Babylonians. And we've said that the first 39 chapters in the book of Isaiah are about warning and judgment. If you carry on living this way, then everything that God has promised that will happen to you will happen. You will be taken out of the land. But then in chapter 40, there is this shift in emphasis, uh, a shift in perspective. And so that instead of warning and judgment comes comfort and the promise of the Messiah. It's as, uh, it's as if Isaiah's message from chapter 40 onwards is now being addressed to the people who are in exile, or even those in the day of Ezra and Nehemiah. They've just started to come back into the land, and they're trying to make sense of everything that has happened. They've seen Israel invaded by the Babylonians. They've seen the, 
the city walls knocked down. They've seen the temple burned to the grounds. They've seen people killed. They've seen people taken prisoner. They've been taken out of their homes. They've been marched to a foreign land. Their children have been born in exile, and their children will die in exile. A generation who only ever heard the stories of what it used to be like. Uh, those who, in the words of Psalm 137, sat down and wept beside the rivers of Babylon as they remembered their home in Israel. Debbie, has the computer crashed or just my tablet? Okay, could you go to the next slide, please? And now uh, we skip forward a few hundred years to the beginning of the New Testament. And the people are back in the land, but they are not in control. Rome, the superpower of the day, runs the show. The people are downtrodden, they are oppressed, taxes are crippling, and the people want to be free. But you don't need to be living in the first century. You don't need to be living in a modern-day war zone to know those feelings of ashes, mourning, and despair. I don't want to get political, uh, but in his speech to the Labour Party conference last week, Keir Starmer said, and I quote, what is broken can be repaired, what is ruined can be rebuilt, wounds do heal. Words that could almost have come out of Isaiah 61, which is probably why my ears pricked up when he said it, because I was already thinking about this passage for this morning. But whatever the reason, and whoever is to blame, whether it's the government, whether it's the war in Ukraine, whether it's Brexit, whether it's the cost of living crisis, austerity, COVID, or whether it's just stuff that simply happens, a sudden death, a life-changing accident, an illness, a breakdown in a relationship. There will be people, maybe sat here this morning, there will be people out there living in Comberton or living in Barton or Toft or Hardwick or Caldecott or the Eversdons or Camborne or Coton who, for one reason or another, feel as if life is ashes, mourning and despair. So let's come to Isaiah 61. Next slide, please, Debbie. So whoever the me is in verse 1, they are offering hope that things are not always going to be the way that they are now. Whether you're broken-hearted, whether you're poor, whether you're a captive, whether you're mourning, whether you're despairing, whether you're sat surrounded by ruins, whether you are disgraced, or whether you are shamed, these verses paint a picture of not just what could be, but a picture of what will be. This is good news for those in bad places. Next slide, please. Now, if you're anything like me, you're not very good at waiting for things. 
one of the, and one of the things about Old Testament prophecy is that it is often multi-layered. And so for the prophecies here in Isaiah, uh, some of them had their fulfillment not long afterwards. As the people came back in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they came back and the city was rebuilt. But there was going to be a further fulfillment when Jesus came. And so the people had to wait. But there is going to be a further fulfillment in the future at the end of time, and so we have to wait. If you've got your Bible in front of you, uh, have a look at Luke chapter 4. Um, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just been uh, baptized, gone through the temptation in the wilderness. He's now returned uh, home to Nazareth. It's a Sabbath day. And he goes into the local synagogue and he reads the first part of Isaiah 61. So this is taken from Luke chapter 4. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus is claiming to be the me in Isaiah, 60, Isaiah 61. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the servant. And we're going to be thinking more about the servant next week. Next slide, please. But Jesus finishes, if you look back at Isaiah uh, chapter 61, Jesus finishes, read, uh, he finishes reading halfway through what we know as Isaiah 61 verse 2. And so he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, but he doesn't go on to read the next bit, which declares the day of vengeance of our God. Now these prophecies, they had some fulfillment in the return of, from exile. They had some fulfillment in the life and death of Jesus, but their final fulfillment is still, we're still looking forward into the future because the day of vengeance of our God is coming. And towards the end of our series, we're going to be thinking specifically about some of the passages which talk uh, about that as Isaiah looks forward to this day that's coming at the end of time when everything is going to be put right, when the damage and the effects of sin are undone. A day when we will have to give an account for our lives, a day of judgment. But Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he comes and he is announcing the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where we still are. Next slide. So taking the language of last week, Isaiah 55, Jesus says things like, Come to me and drink. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Forsake your wicked ways. Turn to the Lord and he will have mercy. Yes, judgment is coming, but we're not 
there yet. And so what is this good news for those who are experiencing ashes, mourning, and despair? How can this be the year of the Lord's favor when so many experience hell on earth? Do we just have to put up with the status quo until some point in the future when everything gets put right? Next slide. So in Mark's Gospel, Jesus kicks off his ministry by declaring that the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom is here, and the people are invited to be a part of it. And the effects of the coming kingdom are seen through the works of Jesus, some of which Jesus highlights here in the beginning of Isaiah 61, which he read in Luke chapter 4. And then as we move into Acts, there's the work of the early church and the apostles. But if you read on in Luke chapter 4, you will see that the consequences of Jesus' sermon is that he was driven out of town and the people wanted to kill him. We know through reading the rest of the Gospels that eventually Jesus was killed. The context of this verse on the screen is that John the Baptist had just been put in prison. Quite a few of Paul's letters are written from prison as he potentially waits execution. Next slide. Now, one of the biggest challenges, I think, for us as 21st century Western Christians is the way that we are brought up to think uh, and to separate out the physical, by which we often mean the things that we can see, and the spiritual, by which we often mean things that we can't see. But for the Jewish writers of the New Testament, these two worlds very much overlapped and intertwined. And so when Paul says something about, say, the renewing of our minds, part of what he means is by getting to see how the spiritual and the physical overlap. And also coming to see how the spiritual is actually more real than the physical. Um, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, Tales of Narnia, I won't spoil it by reading a quote from the very last page. Uh, and you've got six books to read before you get to this one. This is The Last Battle, uh, one of the Narnia Chronicles. But in here, uh, when C.S. Lewis is describing uh, this life, he talks about this as the Shadowlands. This is less real than what we might think of as the spiritual. This is less real, even though we can see it. It is less real. This is the shadows. This is not what really counts. There is something more. If you've not read it recently, before you read the whole of Tales of Narnia, uh, if you've not read it recently, take a little bit of time this week to read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. Can I have the next slide, please, Debbie? I'm not necessarily expecting you to be able to read all of that. Uh, but in these chapters, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, Jesus totally turns on its head the way that he wants his followers to think about almost everything. And it starts with 
this selection called the Beatitudes. Redefining who we often think of as those who are blessed. The blessed, Jesus says, are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who are hunger and thirsting for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And this is why someone like Peter can be in a prison cell praising God. It's why someone like Paul can write that he has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether living in plenty or in need. It's why he can talk about experiencing that peace that is beyond all understanding, a peace which God wants to give us in replace of anxiety. Next slide. And yes, it does start with the cross. And forgiveness is only possible because of Jesus' death in our place. And that gives us reconciliation with God. But it doesn't stop there. As you read on into the story of the early church in Acts, there are, yes, there are some miracles, but it's often the everyday practical demonstrations of God's love that drew people to the good news of Jesus. Next slide. It's God's heart for justice being worked out through his people, transforming lives and transforming communities. And so yes, a part of Isaiah's message of hope is a message of hope for the future. That death is not the end. That Jesus is coming again. That everything will be put right. But it's not just a hope for the future. It's a hope that recognizes that things won't always be this way. And that things don't always have to be this way. That we can work in partnership with God's Spirit. That we, alongside God, can be agents of change who start to bring transforming power into the lives of people. Not just in the future, but now. First, by introducing people to Jesus, but also by fighting injustice wherever we find it in all its forms. Things don't need, things won't always be the way that they are. And Isaiah, when we experience times of ashes, mourning and despair, Isaiah wants us to know that there is hope. Things won't always be that way and that God is there in the ashes, in the morning, and in the despair with us. Let's pray.